Parts, needs, and meaning. Part two. What's going on, y'all? Thanks for being here and choosing to stick with me through this three-part series. This is all in the context of understanding the mechanisms and what's underneath the hood, the specifics of how we create limiting beliefs in our subconscious mind, how we create stories from earlier parts of our lives that end up hindering us throughout our lives if we don't go and address them. We create these stories that we we attach on to events, and that ends up becoming residual, becoming clutter and emotional baggage in our everyday lives, where we have these physiological responses to events. We were having a disagreement with our romantic partner, and because we haven't addressed stories growing up about what conflict means or what stories you might have hatched about expressing yourself and saying what you think and saying what you feel, if those stories are still, if you're still holding on to them, then your experience with your romantic partner in that situation, you're going to have physiological reactions that are nothing to do with the present moment. So let's dig in. So in part one, we we went with a little overview of parts, needs, and meaning, and focusing in on parts. So quick recap there. When we're younger, we make meaning out of events in order to get needs met. And that becomes this part of us in our psyche. If it's not processed, it's this fragmented part. So we really zoomed in on what parts are through the lens of internal family systems therapy. So definitely go back and listen to part one if you haven't already listened or re-listened to it to to gain that extra understanding. But let's zoom in today on needs, otherwise known as desires or values or simply motivating factors, simply reasons, whatever term you really want to use is is less essential than understanding that when we make meaning during a particular event, especially growing up in an adverse experience, we are trying to get a need met. It is for a reason we create meaning. It is in attempt to serve us. It is in attempt to create a flourishing, wonderful life. It is an attempt to take care of ourselves. It is an attempt to love ourselves. Now, of course, a key word here is attempt. Because when we're nine years old and we get that failing grade on the report card and mom and dad are upset, we attempt to get our needs met. But it might end up getting in the way of our needs getting met, in the big picture at least. Or it just might be a coping tool or a short-term quick fix. Right, so this is really borrowing from Marshall Rosenberg's framework of nonviolent communication. So we'll link to that in the show notes. Again, I've mentioned him before, and I probably 
we'll mention him again. Actually, very likely I'll do like a whole series about nonviolent communication. I would encourage you to check out the three-hour workshop on YouTube. You can read his book, but I actually think starting with the video on YouTube is the best place to start. It's from 1999 San Francisco three-hour workshop. Just search that, or we'll get that in the show notes as well. When you really watch that, you understand this new frame through which to understand human behavior, human action, and to begin to cultivate compassion for oneself and others for the choices that we make. And understanding that, again, even if your, your strategy isn't ideal in the long term, it's, it's at least attempting to get needs met. So real quick, we'll, we'll tie up the, we'll put a bow on that example with the report card, and then I'll share more about what needs are. But in the example of the report card, you're nine years old, you get a failing grade, mom and dad are upset. If mom and dad maybe punish you, or teachers get upset, or kids make fun of you, it could be any number of factors. You might internalize shame. You might be afraid that people won't accept you, that mom and dad won't won't uh, take care of you, won't love you. There could be all number of, of factors. But let's say you have that failing grade experience. A common belief I see with people that they hatch is failure isn't safe. And oftentimes we internalize that one in the school system at large because we're constantly absorbing these implicit messages that if you get anything less than an A, that's not good, right? And then if you get an F, that's like really, really not good. So that's constantly stressing doing it right and not making mistakes and all sorts of beliefs can be hatched from the school system about perfectionism as well as avoiding failure. So when we spotlight, like let's say our parents get upset at us and they punish us, failure isn't safe could be a meaning you assign as a nine-year-old to the situation because you intuit that if you keep failing, mom and dad will keep getting upset. And when you're a child, it is essential to maintain attachment to your primary caregivers. It's essential to have some semblance of acceptance and love. And essential because if you don't, you will be alone. Like if, if you actually take it to the logical conclusion and you continually sort of, it, it could be the case that you, in your child self's mind, you're, if you're continually failing and failing and failing and failing, and every time mom and dad are getting upset, you're calculating like in your little kid's mind, it could be the case that I'll lose, I'll be ostracized, I'll lose complete safety and well-being from them. And it's not necessarily, it's not logical, right? In a sense, but in a sense, it is logical because you're a little kid and you're just you're completely dependent upon that child upon upon the parent you're completely dependent upon the parent so you can't be alone you can't not be dependent upon the parent anymore that would not be safe as a young child who can't survive without adults so that sounds really heavy and strong maybe but that's just a logical conclusion if you keep if you keep going right and you're kind of just calculating 
oh man, mom and dad are upset. They're mad at me. All this is just like quick calculations you're doing and you form these, you form these meanings, right? You form these meanings about the event. But that's all to get needs met. So safety is a fundamental need. Love is a fundamental need. Connection, fundamental need. Belonging, right? So there could be pressures from this, from other kids in the school to, you know, do school good, pursue achievement like all the other kids are pursuing achievement. If you don't, you'll be different, right? You won't be accepted and belong. So we have a need for belonging. We have a need for understanding and clarity. And those are the two most common needs, I would say, in addition to safety, perhaps, safety and love, but really like clarity to understanding about why this is happening. Why is mom upset at me? Why is dad threatening me? Why, why is he making these facial expressions? Why is he raising his voice? Why is this, why am I feeling this energy in my body right now when he yells? All this is going on real, real unconsciously, right? As a nine-year-old or whatever. But you need to make sense of things as a human being and especially as a child. You need clarity about what's going on. You need understanding about what's going on. If you don't understand these things, then you're kind of really ungrounded. You're really ungrounded. Um, so maybe, maybe it could be the case that you create as well a belief, I'm a failure, right? That could more ex- explain dad and mom's behavior. I'm a failure. That's why they're doing this. This is about me. What other explanation could there be for these people who purport to love me and care for me treating me this way? Oh, it must be I'm a failure to help understand things. And often we put it on ourselves. So, yeah, so for the failure is not safe, that might be belief to try to get safety and love and connection needs and then the clarity and understanding might be needs you're trying to get met as well and that's when you might create I'm a failure or I'm not good enough or I never do things right or the way to get love is to get approval because you can't understand as a nine-year-old we'll just keep with this example it's not really in your in the in your capacity in that situation to understand that mom and dad have their own unprocessed childhood experience that they're projecting onto you. Unless you have a healthy, secure adult figure who's also in your life, who's explaining these things to you, then you can maybe have a new lens through which to understand mom and dad's behavior. But when that is the totality of your experience, the home environment is the majority of your experience growing up, and that's what you know. That's reality in your mind, man. That's your primary and that's your primary perspective, your primary environment, your primary atmosphere, your primary introduction to the world is your home environment as well as school. So you think that's reality. It doesn't you don't have these other understandings that mom and dad are projecting their unprocessed experience from their own childhood? That's just Again, I think it's possible for a nine-year-old to understand that, but only if he's in a, an environment that is supporting that perspective. If you're in that unhealthy perspective, un- unhealthy environment, then you're just trying to make sense of that unhealthy environment. Oh, it must be about me. Oh, it must be a failure is not safe. It must be I'm a failure. 
And so what I'm, I'm seeking to spotlight in today's episode, y'all, is that it's because we're trying to get needs met that we create these stories, create the meaning about the events. It's seeking to serve us. Every human action is in an attempt to get a need met. And every, every thought you have is an attempt to get a need met. You are, a, you are an organism that is seeking to blossom and thrive and flourish at all times. That is the natural process of life. And so you can recognize the innocence of your child self as you unpack the stories that you have created and that are still stuck in your subconscious mind with these parts of yourself, right? These younger versions of yourself that created these stories, they did that because they were trying to serve you. And we can invite love and compassion and appreciation for the efforts, other needs that come into play in our lives. There's needs for visibility to be seen for who you are. There's needs to be heard, to be understood. There's needs for excitement, needs for purpose, growth, challenge, creativity. There's needs for health and well-being and, and sleep and food and air. And there's needs for compassion and warmth and nurturing and to matter. There's these different types of needs that we're all always seeking to get met. And so when we begin to invite that lens, we can invite compassion for the stories we created in perhaps difficult situations. And we can understand that maybe the stories we created actually in the big picture weren't meeting our needs or don't meet our needs in the big picture. Maybe they did as a short-term coping tool in the moment, in the moment when mom and dad are upset at you for the failing grade. Short-term coping tool, just like, you know, let's take another example. You are stressed and you go eat cookies and you feel less stressed while you're eating the cookies. You get needs met in the short term for pleasure and comfort. Like the needs do get met at some level. But of course, we all know that if you just eat cookies when you're stressed, you're not solving the problem and you're not nurturing your long-term needs. So what are the other strategies to get those needs for comfort and pleasure met, right? Maybe you just need to take a deep breath and connect to the parts of you that are stressed and comfort your own self. That would be a life-serving strategy that would serve you for the short and long term to begin the process of self-connection as opposed to numbing with the cookie, right? Or you could go take a walk and you could go move your body a bit and have some pleasure with from the endorphins or different strategies that could be more in line with your, your long-term needs as well. So the point is that we can look back at the stories we create, like I'm not good enough, like I'm a failure, like failure isn't safe, like I'm not worthy of success. These different stories. We can understand we are trying to get a need met, but are there better ways to get those needs met than to continually believe it's the absolute truth about me that I'm a failure? 
Are there better ways to get those needs met? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to, let's take, I'm a failure. We're trying to get a need met for clarity and understanding, maybe acceptance and belonging. Well, what are better ways to get those needs met, right? We can see, oh, actually, the school system was the problem, trying to force you to do things you didn't want to do in this age-segregated, extrinsically motivated environment. Oh, the school system was the problem, not you. Literally, 100% about the school, 0% about you. Literally, that school system exists because all the people who are perpetuating it are projecting their own belief structures that, because they were conditioned when they went to school. And it's all a manifestation of that. It's literally nothing to do with you. We can have a new perspective. As adults, we go back, we look at these stories we created when we were nine years old. You can have a new perspective. Oh, maybe it was nothing to do with me. Ah, that meets my need for clarity in a more effective way, right? So we can actually better get our needs met. We can love and appreciate the part of us that created the meaning, that created the story, recognizing the attempt to get needs met. But now we can say, what are more life-serving ways to meet those needs? Can I perhaps let go of this story, right? Can I perhaps let go of this story and I will meet those needs in more fulfilling ways? more effective long-term ways. This is the process of growth and healing. So this, this extrapolates to every single belief we create, every single story we create, every single meaning that we create, that we attach to events growing up and other times of our lives as well. We can recognize that we're always trying to get needs met. So as you begin to build a vocabulary of needs, you'll begin to understand yourself more and understand the the events of the past and begin to let go. Now, the process I go through when I work with people and work with myself is much more specific than what I'm outlining here for how to actually let go of the belief and communicate with that part. And perhaps I'll get into that um, in the future. I imagine I will. <laughs> but um, I wanted to just outline in this three-part series the these these three elements of parts, needs, and meaning. We have these parts of us that create these stories in attempts to get needs met. So this applies in beliefs about ourselves, our self-worth, beliefs about work ethic, right? A lot of us grow up in these cultures of you need to work hard in order to be a good person and work for work's sake, this Puritan work ethic and getting approval from working hard and this is the only way to success is to like work hard and strain your body. These are stories that a lot of us inherit. So we do that. Beliefs about money as well, by the way. Money and work ethic. We, we, we create these beliefs in response to our environment, in response to our events that we experience. We're trying to get needs met. Work ethic, like a big one I see with, with people with clients is, you know, the way to get love is to work hard or beliefs along those lines that when we're in these environments that, that instill this work ethic, right? We realize that if we don't do that, we won't get the love. That's the meaning we create because that, that, that an installation, that pressure from the environment, from the adults to do the thing that they want you to do from their own belief structures, you start inheriting that in order to get a need met. In order to get a need met, 
then we ask ourselves, how is this belief getting in the way now that I'm 25, 35 years old? And I still believe that the way to get love is to work hard. Maybe I can still work hard towards my goals without having this extra physiological sensation of urgency that's coming up because this program is constantly running that you need to work hard because you won't get love. That's the program that's up on the operating system. When we can release that, then we're free of that. And we can still choose to work hard. But you don't need to tie it to how do you get love. You don't need to tie it to your self-worth. You don't need to tie it to how you get acceptance and belonging in this culture. Right? That's a big one, the work ethic one, man. It's like you got to be working this hard and straining in this, this many hours and then you'll get approval from others. You'll get praise on social media. People will be like, wow, you worked really hard for that. It's all just reinforcing and you get this approval and praise and rewards and extrinsic rewards and, and motivation, right? But if we just let go of all the beliefs that are tied to that, we don't need others' approval because we love ourselves and we approve of ourselves. We don't need to prove to them how much we work hard. We don't need to have these beliefs anymore. And we can still get our need for love met. And we can still get our need for achievement and accomplishment and growth and challenge and meaning and purpose that come from working hard. We can still get these needs met without this old obsolete story that's just holding you back. All right, getting fired up over here. Thanks for for listening, y'all. Hope this has been valuable to recognize that everything we do is in pursuit of of needs. And how can we best best connect to ourselves and let go of that which no longer serves us. That which no longer serves us. When we do that, a whole new world opens up. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. <laughs>